0: Okay, guys, I'm going to be reading out of John 16, 12 through 22. How much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, The Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you seeking one another that I that I meant, what I meant when I said, In a little while you will no more see, or see me no more? And then after, <laughs> well, see a lot of see me a lot of And then after a little while, you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn
1: A lot of CDs and a lot of more. Yeah. <laughs> this is on. We're good? You guys hear me out there? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Good. good to see you guys. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. It's a national holiday now. <laughs> you guys excited for the game? Yeah. Anybody? Yeah? Woo-hoo! Any Patriots or Eagles fans in the house? Yes. Like one person? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's funny. I think I think today Super Bowl Sunday couldn't come soon enough for many of us, and not just because you know we're Eagles fans or, or Patriots fans. Not even because of the commercials, or because of uh, Justin Timberlake at the halftime show. Get ready, man of the dudes coming live at you. I think I think honestly though, just because many of us in our society, I think. Uh, Things have been tense lately, right? Yeah. A little bit. Just has been kind of looking, looking for something to distract us. In our society, I think there's this, there's this sense that the old, old tensions between the races and the classes and the genders and the religions and the political parties and so on that have been there for years, there's this clear consensus that it's getting worse, getting more tense, tension's mounting, it's growing. A few weeks ago, um, I read an article in the Washington Post that was talking about the Russian ad campaign, uh, the influence campaign. Did you guys hear about the Russian ad campaign? They're having congressional hearings about this, that during the last election cycle, um, Russian uh, basically counterparts took out over 3,000 different types of ads on social media Um, to exploit the existing divides in our society. And uh, this has been proven now. It's congressional hearings with Facebook CEOs and all these people. And the article was saying that the strategy, it said, is to take a crack in our society and turn it into a chasm. And apparently it's working. Because according to polls, like, America has never felt more divided, right? Uh, One of the senators in the article said this. It's the beginning of cyber warfare... It's not about who won or lost the election. It's about the fact that a major foreign power has the ability to influence elections and sow conflict and discord all over our society. In other words, there's a volatility under the surface that exists. And basically what what they're saying is that that can be exploited. There's a volatility. And meanwhile... We're all sitting around, watching the news, hopping on social media, and and wringing our hands and saying, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with our society? What's wrong with our world? But the Bible, surprisingly, is actually a lot easier, takes it a lot easier on our society than our society does. Because the Bible says that our problems, our bitterness, our anxiety, our hostility, our anger, our anxiety... They're not created by the pressure cooker of our society or our political climate. They're actually revealed by that pressure cooker. The Bible says that the troubles between us are actually due to already existing troubles within us. Or put another way, you're arguing within yourself. If you're doing that, you're going to argue with other people. If you're accusing yourself, you'll accuse others. If you're lying to yourself, you're going to start lying to everyone else. If your heart's unhappy, you'll be happy with everyone, everyone else. You, you see it? Right? On a good day, like when you get a raise, or you get a good performance review, or when you, when you lost that weight, and everybody seemed to notice, right? <laughs> On a good day, it's easier to overlook things. You can forgive easier. You can take criticism more graciously. You can... You know, let that go when the guy cuts you off on the five, right? It's, it's a little easier to do that. Why? Because on the inside, you feel rich, don't you? feel good. But what about on the days when you feel poor? Right? On a bad day, when that internal unhappiness in your heart is there, then the fur flies, right? You can't overlook anything. And what Scripture says very clearly is that human beings, especially When the external tensions of society are mounting, or when they live in a place like the city we live in, with the hustle and the bustle and the stress and the financial cost, they don't find themselves struggling with hostility and envy and anger and anxiety because society has done something to them. No. The Bible says that basically we're like little bombs. You guys know what a bomb is? bomb is something that's really irritable. right? It's an irritable... Little mechanism And it doesn't take much poking or prodding or jostling to make it explode. Yeah. Why? Because inside, deep within, it has an unstable compound. In the same way we, we live in a time and place like we do. Um, in our society with that unstable compound, that internal unhappiness that we all have existing in us, we find the only difference really between San Diego. In 2018 and other places and other times is there are more things in our time and place to jostle us around. Wow. See, a bomb can sit underground for years and years and years. In fact, six days ago, they uncovered a bomb in downtown Hong Kong in a construction site that was from World War II. Wow. It had been sitting dormant that whole time and so they had to defuse it. And It just sat there since World War II. A live bomb with an unstable compound in there can just sit if Nobody messes with it. (laughs) It doesn't go off, Yet years later, right, you uncover, if you don't diffuse it right, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. You need an expert to diffuse it. And here's the deal. What's really wrong with our society today is that a lot of us keep that unstable compound deep within us. We think we're pretty good until we get jostled around. I think we're pretty good until we experience certain realities and things that poke at us and prod us. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you read the news and you feel like it's exploding. Some of you have exploded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the strain of life, it's, it's a serious thing. It really is. And some of us, I think we see friends falling apart. We see people flipping out on Facebook. And Listen, don't make the mistake of thinking you're superior to anyone. Don't think, well, they must just be weak. No, it just hasn't affected you yet. You haven't been triggered yet. The Bible says all of us in ourselves are unstable compounds. What do you mean by unstable? Well, let's mix our metaphors a little. I came from a Pentecostal background. We did that a lot. back <laughs> um, What makes a building unstable? Foundation. foundation. Yeah, foundation can be too small or can be... Or too weak. And the Bible says in our lives, we're all built on a foundation in ourselves that's too small and too weak. So we're teetering. We're precarious. We're all leaning towers of Pisa, except way less stable. We're all unstable. We're unstable buildings swaying in the wind. We're unstable compounds. It's it's very easy to prod us. Why? Because in our inner central self, there's something wrong within us. And then when we find that, we, we find that we're at war with everyone else around us. What Scripture teaches is that there's only one way to truly put yourself right. There's only one thing that will really change your inner instability, that, that unstable compound. And it's what the Bible calls the gospel. And we use that word a lot around here, admittedly, um, because the gospel is good news, right? Or to be even you know, a little more literal, the gospel is joy news. The gospel is a message about what Jesus Christ has done, but literally, the Greek word for gospel means joy news—news news that creates joy. In a sense, you ought to think of the gospel as a bomb squad, and it alone has the expertise to pick you up so gently, so sensitively. You know that place in Scripture where Jesus says, "A bruised reed He shall not break, a smoking flax He shall not quench." Jesus Himself, Jesus alone can pick you up and open you up and diffuse the internal unstable compound in there that will detonate. Only the gospel and the Christian joy that results can make you right within. And if you're right within, then everything else is a lot more tolerable. You can handle things around you. So let's take a look at this unstoppable Christian joy Jesus teaches about it. He teaches us four things in this passage, because it's not two or three. We have to be fairly brief about each of these points, but they're all here. Jesus teaches us that Christian joy has four characteristics. Christian joy, firstly, is inevitable, it's continual, it's transcendent, and it's possible. Let me show you how the text teaches these four things. Number one, Christian joy is inevitable. What does it say? Verse 22. Now is your time of grief, but I'll see you again. And you will rejoice. Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm taking off. I'm going to die. But I'll be back as your risen Lord. And when you see me, you might have joy. Somebody says? Maybe. No, what's he said? You will have joy. The first point is, if Jesus is in your life, you will have joy. Joy is an inevitable mark of a believer. And let me clarify, I'm not saying it's an immediate mark of a believer, but the Bible says joy is inevitably true of any Christian. If you're really a Christian, eventually joy has to take you over. It has to. It's inevitable. It doesn't say you may have joy. It says you will have joy. To receive Jesus, to see Him, to apprehend Him, to personally know Him is to have joy. Why? The reason Christian joy is inevitable, first of all, is the Bible says, God is a God of joy. Joy is one of the main attributes of God. So if you have God in your life, it stands for reason that you'll have joy in your life. It's one of the main attributes of God. We have creatives here in our our church. We have at least one. We have a lot of artists in our church, right? Creatives, let me ask you a question. You guys... You know what joy there is in crafting something beautiful, don't you? When, when you know, when Kirsty goes to that pottery class and she makes that amazing sink, or when Alexis does those amazing Hannah tattoos, or Kat makes a new set of earrings so on Instagram, or, or John lays down a track, or any, you're like, okay, I'm in trouble because there's so many creatives and I started down the list. Um, you guys know where I'm going with this yeah. though, right? so you find joy when you craft something. So can you imagine what creation was like? Creation, the Bible says, was an act of pure joy. The moon, the stars, the the sun, singing, the scripture says, reveling in their own freshness. Proverbs 8 says, we're told that God says, every day as I was creating, I was delighting in mankind. I was filled with delight every day. You know what that word delight or joy means? It's used of God here in creation. It means to jump or to dance, like some of these kids were down here during our during our worship set, right? Just running around, jumping and dancing. Yeah, I know maybe you're like, um, yeah, I don't like to picture my God that way. Um, he's, he's holy. He's majestic.
0: Right?
1: Yeah, it's it's holy joy. It's it's majestic joy. It's, it's joy as far above, like, giddiness and silliness as, as, you know, a waterfall is above a water drop, right? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's a fountain of joy. But that's what it is. God is a joy. Joyful God. He is joy. And if you have God in your life, you have to have joy. If you don't have joy, if it doesn't inevitably grow in your life, then do you really have God? Mm-hmm. Besides, Jesus couches this entire conversation in his promise to leave and send the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll go away and I will send the Holy Spirit to you. I will, he will make God known to you. This, this God of joy will dwell within you. If God is in your life. You'll have joy because God is joy. And here's another way to put it. Christian joy is inevitable, not just because God is a God of joy, but also because the gospel message is a message of joy. Right? And we already said this. The gospel message means good news. Literally, the Greek word for gospel is evangelion. You, which means good or joy, and angelion, which means message. There is a message that can actually bring joy, even in this dire, new, saturated, broken climate. So if you say, I believe the gospel, but there isn't a growing joy in your heart, if there isn't a happiness, that people can actually discern in you, then have you really gotten a message? It's amazing to me to see people who claim to believe the good news and yet seem so impacted by the bad news all the time. Do you ever meet Christians who perpetually look like they're sucking on limits?
0: <laughs>
1: if the joy of the Lord is your strength, Notify your face. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: or on the other side, right, especially here in SoCal, you ever meet Christians who just like paste the fake smile on all the time, right? It's that SoCal surface joy. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> Come on, people can sense when it's fake. But that's what we have to do, right? We're Christian. we got to smile. We have to act joyful all the time. we got to act happy when our lives are falling apart. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Where's the balance there? What are we called to do? I'll tell you. And it's, it's right here in this text. We're called to believe the gospel. We're called to let the gospel give us true joy. Let me explain. Um, i was watching this video on YouTube, uh, which is one of the things I do when I, like on Monday, I'll just YouTube out and just veg out on YouTube and find weird things. And I found this. Have you guys heard of the octobass?
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: It's amazing, okay? It was invented back in the 1700s by a classical violinist to produce a low rumble underneath the orchestra. And it's crazy because, like, in my iPhone speakers, it's undiscernible what it sounds like. It's just like, (laughs) He's hitting different strings. He's doing all this stuff, and it sounds exactly the same every note um anyway but uh, i'll put it this way i think the bible would say that if your heart was a string instrument there's a very low very huge string far far bigger than an bass right and if you pluck it the whole heart would begin to reverberate with sounds of joy. but the problem is nobody nobody's strong enough big enough Right, and Nancy and I just celebrated our 16th year anniversary. We went to Palm Springs. Um, Palm Springs. And has anybody uh, been to Palm Springs and gone on the aerial tramway to Mount Jacinto? Amazing. Like almost two miles up in the air, looking over the desert and 80 degrees down there, snow capped mountains up there. Second highest aerial tramway in the world. And, um, it's kind of spooky because you hit some of those towers and 30 people in this tram and you're just swaying. So you inevitably, inevitably begin to look up at the cables. And uh, I was looking at the cable and, and afterward we went and watched the video and it's, uh, the cable itself, specially made, is one continuous cable that's 13,000 feet long and it's like this big. I was thinking, man, what would it be like if you could plug that thing? <laughs> <laughs> or, so, that's where my brain goes, Octabase, Palm Springs. I went there. You know when you see a suspension bridge? You have these giant cables that are huge. Like, what would it sound like if somebody could pluck that thing? There's nobody big enough, nobody strong enough, right? It's like a termite looking at the Octabase. Like, I wonder, but Somebody can pluck the Octabase. You can't pluck a suspension bridge cable. At least I don't know anybody who can, right? Sorry, I digress. Um... The Bible is saying in, in, in the same way that there's a gigantic cord in your life. It's as thick and as huge as suspension bridge cables and nobody, nothing, no message but the gospel message can pluck it. But once it's plucked, once it starts to reverberate, once it starts to vibrate, the entire heart begins to reverberate with sounds of joy. It's like when the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation and got spoken. Let there be light. It, it recreates you. It begins to move on your life. Whenever you see a great movie, whenever you read a great book, whenever you see a beautiful work of art, you're captivated by something that depicts beauty or love and joy and wonder or, or victory like snatched from the jaws of defeat or hope from beyond the square. Whenever you see a really good story, there's, there's a joy. There's an exhilaration that like lifts you up for a moment, right? And then you walk out of the theater and a few minutes later, it's gone. What happened? It scratched at that cable. It scratched at that strain, but it can't plug it. The Bible says when someone grasps the gospel, which is the ultimate story, the ultimate piece of art, the ultimate piece of music, the gospel gospel is that, that, that God's son broke through human history, actually became a human being came to earth and through a crazy upside down strategy of dying and suffering, an apparent defeat. He actually turned the tables on death and evil and hell and he's leading a revolt and eventually he's gonna eradicate all the evil and suffering in the world. The gospel story, when you actually began to believe it, and you realize it's true, you take hold of it and you let it begin to melt, your icy heart, it inflicts upon your heart, your soul, a joy that you didn't know you were capable of. In other words, that is a string that is plotted. Only the gospel message can pluck that string. And that's the reason why the gospel message is called Joy News, because until it begins to pluck that string deep within your inner being, you, you're not a Christian. You haven't believed yet. You haven't gotten You haven't grasped the gospel. Do you see? And history shows it. History proves it. If you look at the early church, throughout history, the earliest Christians in Acts chapter 2 were told, were marveled at by people around them. Why? Because it says, look at Acts chapter 2, 46. They broke bread, they ate together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The early church was characterized by unstoppable joy in the face of some pretty broken circumstances that if you know history, you know may actually be a little more dire than some of the ones we face here today. My first point is, Jesus says, when you see me, you will have joy. All I can say to you, Christian friends, is this. If there's a lack of joy in your life, don't ask God for more. It's there. The The joy is there. It's under the surface. You have to ask yourself, what am I doing to actively stifle the joy that God has placed in my life. Instead of saying, God, I really wish I had more. If it's true that God himself is joy, and if it's true that the gospel that you have in your life is designed for joy, and that he's filled you with himself, with his spirit to reveal the truth of who he is and the truth of his gospel, then if you still don't have joy, you're doing something active to stifle it. You're doing something active to smother. So instead of saying, oh, God, give me more joy, give me more joy, what you need to say is, what the heck am I doing to clog up this fountain that's in the middle of my life? Otherwise, I wouldn't even be a Christian in the first place. What are you doing? Let's continue, and maybe you'll get some insight. Point number two, Christian joy is continual. Jesus has this incredible illustration, which uh, in some of your cases is is more relevant than others. It's a, a woman and labor. Having a baby. And uh, verse 21, he says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby's born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now, how are we like a woman in labor? The answer is, we, we all know a woman in labor experiences pain. right? And this is, this is before epidurals ladies and anesthetics, right? So (laughs) women, you know, we're we're in pain, then too, Um, maybe more. And then he says, when a child is born, she forgets her pain. And notice it does not say, men, um, when a child is born, the pain is gone. (laughs) Right? It's not gone. Um, It's not what happens. It says she forgets it. Like the baby pops out and she's like, hey, the pain's over. That's not what happens. Something happens that makes her forget the pain. Now, what that means is, and I've watched this at least a couple times myself, um, is that it's not that the pain is gone. It says she forgets it. You know, when the Bible says God remembers your sins no more, what's that mean? Does it mean that God's not conscious of your sin? Does it mean he looks down at you and says, I'm I'm pretty sure they Um, (laughs) sinned. For the life of me, I can't. Remember, okay, <laughs> is that no? That's not what it means, right? What could it mean when it says he remembers your sins? No more, it means that God refuses to dwell, He refuses to focus on Him, to, to, to be dominated by it. He refuses to treat you as a result of. What actually happens to a woman when a baby is born is voraciously her mind goes to that child. And she looks at it. She wants to see if her baby's healthy. Ten fingers, ten toes, what's the gender, who's it look like? She wants to see her baby. And you see what happens is her mind is captured by it. It's not that the joy this woman has in her child just suddenly eliminates the pain. Jesus isn't saying that her joy gets rid of the pain of her body, but it overwhelms it overshadows it. And that's the structure of this unstoppable Christian joy. See, on the other hand, in the world, in the world that we live in today, and you see it when you talk to people, joy and sorrow can't ever overlap. They're mutually exclusive. Right? So if you have sorrow and you want more joy, what do you have to do if you're not a Christian? You have to find a way to eliminate the pain. And there's at least three ways I can think of. People try to eliminate the pain, there, there might be more. One of the things you can try to do is you can try to forget the pain. You go to chemicals, you go to narcotics, or, or, or drinking, you can try to do it through various sorts of pleasure. You try to forget the pain in order to have joy. Another thing people try to do is you try to avoid the pain. Right? Break your commitments, you, know, you just leave, you say, I don't have to put up with this, I can't handle it. In other words, you try to avoid the pain by escaping, running away. But thirdly... Perhaps most pathologically, um, you can try to deny the pain in order to get joy. Oh, it's not really that big a deal. It's okay. It's okay. I'm fine. Don't worry. It's all right. Everything is awesome. <laughs> you can try to deny the pain in order to have more joy, right? So in order to have more joy in this world, you have to forget the pain, avoid the pain, you can try to deny the pain, but in every case, you're actually having to turn your brain off. You're tracking? You're having to numb it or medicate it. You're actually divorcing yourself from reality. You, you tell yourself cute little things like, oh, it'll get better eventually. You know? It always does. It can't stay like this. Every cloud has a silver lining. Um, this is just an anomaly. It'll, it'll eventually get better. I'm a good person. Good things will happen. Mm-hmm. Say um, things like, Thank God it's Super Bowl Sunday. I need a break. All those things are just ways of turning your mind off to reality. But the structure of Christian joy is completely different. The structure of Christian joy is not turning your brain off, but engaging it. Christian joy is saying, we have a joy that overshadows the pain. So we don't have to forget it or avoid it or deny it in order to have joy. See, a Christian is odd. Right? Yeah. Because, on one hand, a Christian is incredibly realistic. We'll never be shocked at evil and pain in the world. If you understand the Bible, you expect it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? We don't have to tell ourselves little stories in order to cope. Like, some of the social media posts I read where people are like, this person did this must be crazy because people are basically good. And the world is basically a nice place. Right? Christians are way too far pessimistic for that. Christians are more pessimistic than most other people. In other words, they're far more realistic about evil. We have what I like to call a low anthropology. Just When bad stuff happens, you're like, yep, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we do with people. And apart from God, we're pretty broken. You know, we do that kind of stuff. So they're realistic about the suffering in the world. They're realistic about the fragmentation and the brokenness of it. And they're never surprised by evil. They don't have to tell themselves Little stories, they know exactly what life is made of. But on the other hand, Christians are far more optimistic than other folks. Because they have a truth, a hope, that overshadows the bad. When they focus on that truth, like that woman focusing on that newborn baby, it overwhelms the bad. A Christian says, look, yeah, this world actually is this bad. Actually it is. And I'm not going to try to numb my mind to it. I'm not going to tell myself little stories to try to cope or escape the weight of it. But I have a truth. I have the gospel. I have the message of Christ. What is that? Is it true that Christ's Son came to this world? Is that true? Is it true that he died to pay my debts? Did he rise again to overcome my fears? Does he right now reign in heaven over all things has he filled me with his spirit? Is Jesus for me? Is he working all things, all of history, together for my redemption? Is he returning to judge the living and the dead to restore everything? Is that true? Because if that's true, thank you. One believer in the house. Because if if that's true, then I have a truth that overshadows these problems. These problems, as bad as they are, are going to end. These troubles, as bad as they are, have a consolation that is stronger than them. Don't you see? So are Christians more pessimistic or are Christians more optimistic than everybody else? Yes. Christians are more pessimistic and more optimistic at the same time. The structure of their joy is different. You see? That's the reason why Christian joy is so different than other kinds of joy, because it stays in touch with sorrow. Christian joy always has a solemnity to it, never a frivolity. Christian joy stays in touch with sorrow. Christian joy says, what I'm going through right now is bad. What they're facing right now is bad. But my Lord Jesus Christ has been through this. Amen. He's suffered it a million times over. He's dealt with it, and he's going to eliminate it once and for all. See? that's Yeah, that's why a Christian, on one hand, has a truth that overshadows the pain, and on the other hand, doesn't have to forget or deny or avoid the pain. Amen. If you're suffering, and you're around a Christian with real joy, you're not repelled by it actually lifted up by it. Wow. You see how different that is? Yeah, yeah. There's a sense in which the new birth makes the heart bigger. The heart's bigger. Conversion makes the heart big enough for both peace and pain, hope and desolation, sorrow and joy. They're able to live together in the human heart. That's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 6, always rejoicing yet full of sorrow. Wow. A non-Christian looks at that and says, I can't get that. I don't get it. Of course not. Because the structure of Christian joy is different. Christian joy is continual. What makes Christian joy, joy, is not the absence of pain, but rather you have something that overshadows it, that enables you to come up over the pain. you tracking? Number three, Christian joy is transcendent. See, there's a sense in which sorrow and pain not only don't, don't eliminate the joy, but they almost enhance it. Somebody said it this way. They said, Christian joy is like a furnace with a thermostat on it. The colder it gets outside, the more that thermostat kicks in and kicks up the furnace. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay? kicks up the heat. There's almost a sense in which sorrow actually can increase Christian joy, whereas sorrow eliminates the world's joy. Cuts it out. And it's because Christian joy is transcendent. Christians are complex, odd people. Very complex. Where the world's joy rests on circumstances, the Christian's joy does not. The world's joy is pretty simple, right? If I have good circumstances, I'm happy. If I have bad circumstances, not happy. It's, It's fairly simple. The trouble with Christians is, when we have bad circumstances, sure, we're sad. Of course, of course we're sad. But at the same time, our joy is not only rooted in our circumstances. It's based on something infinitely higher, something above our circumstances it's based on what Christ has done for us. So the question is like here on earth, what do we find our joy in? What things bring us joy? Maybe love? If I have love, if I know I'm cared for, if I know people around me care about me, I'm happy but the moment I don't feel cared for I lose that happiness. Right? I'm on the mountain, I'm down in the valley. Or how about possessions? If I feel like I have enough possessions or good enough possessions, I'm happy or, or purpose in life? If I feel like things are going well, if I feel like I, I know where I'm going, I'm in control, then, then I'm happy. Right? And that's, that creates a, a roller coaster, doesn't it? Because life is always throwing different things at us. And as, as life throws stuff at us, you know, when circumstances are good, we're on the top of the world. And when they're not, we're at the, we're at the bottom. We're, we're ready to end it all. What's the point of living? You see, what joy gives you is knowing you own. Things that are worthwhile, knowing you're doing things that are worthwhile, knowing you're loved in a way that's worthwhile. But when you look at Christian joy, it's completely different because it's based on something above your circumstances. Because we know God loves us with a love that is infallible. We know He's given us a grace that no one else has known. We know we have a place in our life. Uh, like Paul says in Philippians, look at this. I count everything else as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and making. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying when he says that. Once I became a Christian, I got something new. It was a, it was a glory. It was an inheritance. It was, It's growing. It's getting broader. It's getting grander. It's getting richer. And so it's so much more valuable than everything else. In my new walk with Christ, my new vocation with Christ, I feel more productive. I feel more loved. I feel more secure than I ever did looking at my circle. That's the reason why a Christian is actually a very complex person. When circumstances are bad, when you've lost human love, which some of you may have here in this room, when you've lost human purpose, when you've lost human security, do you feel sad? Sure, of course you do. But you can't lose divine love. You can't lose divine purpose. You can't lose divine security, and if you have that, when you have that, when you hold on to it, you have a transcendent joy that's not based on circumstances. at all. The reason why Jesus Christ is able to say, in verse 22, no one takes it away from you. Do you see that? You will have joy, and no one will take your joy away. If your joy is based on circumstances, anything can take it from you. If your joy is based on Christ, nothing can take it from you now before I get to the final point here let me just ask you a question I want you to do some honest reflection is anybody in this room that's experiencing joy right now in your life is it based on a, uh, a lack of thinking okay remember I said like um, Christian joy makes you think more instead of turning your brain off like you say things like things are bad they're really this this bad but we've got something more the structure of Christian joy um, is, is to think about these things, more, but the structure of the world's joy is not to think too much. You're either happy or you're not, and it's based on what's going on around you. So are you super joyful here today? How are you feeling? Is it based on thinking? Or is it all based on a refusal or a failure to analyze your true state right now in life? Here's what I mean. For example, and not to be morbid, okay, but it's just a fact. We're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Two things certain in life, according to Ben Franklin death and. Yeah, that's it. Um, and yet, many of you do not have the assurance or the comfort or joy to meet death. Some of you are very busy right now in life, but you don't have any real idea what you're living for. You're just running around, you're doing all these things. Many of you have no way of dealing with the guilt or the shame of your past or fear with the future, right? But you just stay busy. Keep going, baby. Don't think too much about that stuff. Just put the blinders on. Tomorrow's a new day. In other words, you're happy because you're like sitting on a volcano and it just hasn't erupted yet. (laughs) But I tell you something, anybody can take your joy away. Think about the things your joy is based on. Think about how fragile those things actually are. Think and get this new joy, get this new structure of unstoppable Christian joy that's transcendent, continual, and inevitable. And lastly, a lot of you Christians may be sitting in here listening to me right now. And you might be saying, okay, joy is inevitable and continual because it's based on transcendent truths. Okay, I have that. And what's wrong with me? Because I really don't have any more joy than anyone else. What's, what's wrong with me? Here's the answer, point number four. Christian joy is possible. Unstoppable Christian joy is possible because it's a discipline. Let me tell you what I mean by a discipline. And you have to have the Holy Spirit's help for this, okay? There are two things you have to do. And if you fail to do them, you're actually stifling the joy that the gospel is producing Two things you have to do. There's a positive discipline and a negative discipline. The negative discipline is you have to keep your conscience clear. Okay? Um, A hundred years or so ago in London, a a writer, British author, um, one day sent an anonymous note to three friends. And the note just said this, flee at once, all is discovered. And to his surprise, within 24 hours, they all left London. Why? Why? Why did they leave? They had bad consciences, all three people. He never found out we none of us really know what was wrong. <laughs> Thought I'd share that with you. It's another YouTube video. Um, <laughs> Henry David Thoreau says it this way: most men live lives of quiet desperation. A bad conscience will shut down your joy. A bad conscience will smother your joy. You can't just stop doing things you know are wrong. You, you also shouldn't even be doing things that you're not sure are right. right. The Bible says if anyone does something it's not a faith, it's actually a sin. It's not something you can do with a clear conscience, then for you it's sin. That's what James says. So don't shut down your conscience. A lot of you, joy is being shut down because your conscience is bad. But here's the deal. When you have the Holy Spirit come into your life, as you believe the gospel and rested in it, the Holy Spirit... Gives you almost like a rebirth of conscience. You have God dwelling within you, empowering you proactively to rise above temptation. You have God dwelling within you, reminding you reactively that you're forgiven for every time when you do fail to temptation. Amen? So you have the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit empower you to rise above sin and, and the resulting guilt and shame and fear that comes let the Holy Spirit heal your conscience and unclog the fountain. Are you tracking? Number two, positive discipline. The positive discipline is, we already said this, you have to think. You have to meditate. Jesus says, I tell you these things so that you might have joy. These things. Some of you say, hey, I read my Bible. I pray. I do do CBR every day. Okay, then, then what do you do? After you've read your Bible, after you've prayed, then you've got to sit down. You've got to rehearse the gospel, and you've got to rejoice in the good news. Rejoice. Rejoicing is very much like learning to play a new instrument. Last night, I'm sitting there, I'm studying, and all of a sudden, I hear dust in the wind coming out of my son's room. And he's in there, Ivan's in there playing the guitar, and he's killing it too, by the way, playing dust in the wind. (laughs) All we are is dust in the wind. And I was like, you're my boy, Blue." (laughs) This is an awesome moment. But it all started back a few years ago when I talked to Ivan about playing an instrument. Like, when you're learning a new instrument, on one hand, I told him you can't be totally passive. On the other hand, you can't be totally active. What do I mean? You can't be totally passive. You can't sit down with a guitar in your lap and expect to just magically play it. You have to to practice, right? Um, On the same time, you can't be totally passive because... I'm sorry, you can't be totally active because you can't just like pick up a guitar and just say, if I play this a thousand hours this week, I will master it. I'll play beautiful music. If I sleep with a chord sheet under my pillow, it will transmit (laughs) into my. You can't force it, right? It just, some things take time, they take life, right? Christians, you have to avoid, on one hand, thinking joy just magically happens. And you have to avoid thinking that you can just force it into yourself. It's a very dangerous thing. Some Christians say, hey, I'm a Christian. I need to have joy, so I'm going to act like I'm happy. Right? That's, that's the right thing to do. Just paste on the smile. That's wrong. That's not, that's not what the Bible is saying. What you have to do is you have to learn to play the gospel. You have to practice it. You have to rehearse it. You have to recollect it. You have to take those truths of the gospel out. and You have to work them into your heart and your life. Are we tracking? Yeah. The love we talked about earlier. The song we just sang. Your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night. But joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rise. I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me. Your love never fails. You make all things work together for our good. You play those truths over and over, and as you do, you'll find the Holy Spirit reminding you of God's truth deep within your heart in a way that will impact your emotions and will shift your beliefs and your behaviors. You gotta take truths like he's your father. You're, You're not an orphan sleeping in dad's house. You don't have to rent a hotel room in God's house. You don't have to behave really, really well so he won't kick you out. You're loved. You're his child. You're in. He's your savior. The, the four G's, the, 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 you know God is good, gracious, glorious, and great. We rehearse these truths that are, that are rampant in our culture and we bring our struggles to community. We walk out to a gospel community and we say, man, I'm really struggling with this. Yeah. And we have people speak the truth of God over us and remind our hearts and, and learn how to work the truths of the gospel into our hearts. We track tracking? As you do, you'll find out you're not alone. I'm, I'm going to start wrapping with this. Uh, verse 13 that we read earlier. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak not only what he hears. He will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. As you do, as you rehearse the truths of the gospel, you'll find the Holy Spirit reminding you and and bringing those truths of the gospel to bear on your heart deep within. you'll You'll find the gospel plucking that string again. You'll find it reverberating through your life. It may take a while before you have the joy of making great music, but I promise you, if you meditate on these things, rejoicing means thinking about them, asking the Spirit to make them alive, Rejoicing means thinking about them until a fire begins to awaken in your heart. Rejoicing means thinking about them until your heart starts to soften. You can't soften your heart. You can't make it happen. You can't force it. You can't sleep there with a Bible under your under your pillow and hope you're just gonna have neck pain, right? <laughs> Don't get frustrated. Don't force it. Don't give up. No, go to the truth and with the Holy Spirit's help. Let the gospel, the joy in the news, result in joy positive discipline is to think, the negative discipline is to keep your conscience clear. And Christian friends, if you do, there is a joy that's unstoppable. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. For a Christian, because of the gospel, morning is now. Morning is now. Maybe there's somebody here today, I just feel to say this, who's Maybe you feel resentful of me talking about joy being for anybody who comes to Christ. I know when you're emotionally hurting, you feel like joy is not for you. You may be angry at me for raising your hopes. You may um, be angry for me for talking if joy is something that's for anybody. But listen, I, I love you and I'm not against you and because of that. I, I can't apologize for what Because the truth is you can't live without it. You will die without this joy. Come and get it. joy is not an abstraction. It's a person. Jesus said, when you see me, you will have joy. And no one will take this from you. God has given us his gospel. He's given us his spirit. He's given us himself for this, for this joy. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might give you our hearts over this time of communion as we take a step back to remember the gospel. He said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance. So as we take the bread into our hands, we remember that you lived a perfect life. You came as a human in human history for us. For every time I've been broken and unrighteous, you give me your righteousness that you lived out every day of your life. And you spilled your blood on that cross to pardon every sin. And we're reminded of that through the drink. So today, as we take communion, Father, I pray that the gospel will strike that chord again deep within our hearts. I pray that you would be moved again emotionally, the tears of joy at what you've done for us. I pray for anybody who hasn't believed the gospel yet, but maybe they're sitting here right now for the first time, hearing this and saying, I need that joy, and I believe that, I want that, I pray that Lord, as you're striking that chord in their heart that they would come to you, I pray that they would surrender their life to you as their Lord and Savior and find that your promises are true. That what you said in your word, they're like checks that we get to come to the bank and make good on. I pray that we would trust you more. I pray as a church we would become a people in this setting, known, as the early church was for, for the joy that's among us. Not, not because circumstances are perfect. But because there's something that we have that overshadows all the brokenness of us and with us. We have a joy, we have the good news of your gospel. And it's not just some future reality that's present right here, right now. Changing us from the inside. Holy Spirit, have your way in these next few moments as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.